Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different experiences. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift in Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and the upcoming comic Three Protectors. And man, I just did that in- intro without even thinking about it. That's how I know we've been doing this a while. We're on a roll. There was a few times there where I was stumbling over words. I literally don't know if I did the intro right, but I think I did. You didn't. You actually used the phrase experiences instead of perspectives. But ah, experiences and perspectives, yeah. They're, they're, we're, we're friends, and the listeners are our friends. And, and, so I, I think I think that's fine. Experiences, perspectives, we, we all know what the fuck we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, same yeah. thing. We're experiencing <clears throat> we're experiencing these perspectives at a, a two, in <laughs> and, two from an points. experienced from an experienced perspective. That's right. Um, okay, so so before before I uh, I get jumped off here, I wanted to do a, a couple quick uh, you know behind the scenes things inside baseball things right. And the first thing is that I am going to be tra- talking in as smooth a jazz DJ voice as I can for this podcast, and that is because I hurt my throat. Oh. Now, I'm choosing those words very carefully. I do not believe I have a sore throat, because we all know what anybody saying they have a goddamn sore throat means. In this day and age, it means, have you been tested for coronavirus? You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> God damn it. I really didn't want to bring the bleeper out this week, and now you're going to make me fucking do it. I think everyone um, so, can guess what I said right there, but uh, yeah, continue. Not if not if I'm clever. Not if I'm clever. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the thing is... Uh, I think I think I did one of those dumbass things where like you ever eat a bagel and it's toasted and like a little hard piece of the toast kind of scrapes the back of your throat yeah and you're fucked for six days so I basically did that All it right. was like fucking pretzels because I'm an idiot and uh, and it's been bothering me ever since so like I don't have a sore throat I have a throat that's hurt that's kind of scratched in the back and um, and yeah, and then and then so anyway, that was on vacation, and then the vacation allergies have just been all over the place, struggling with some air quality here because it's good old California. But anyway, so uh, I'm going to try to keep my voice as smooth as I can this episode, and hopefully you have a beer to help that out. Oh, and I see that you do. So what do you have today, my friend? I I uh, it's interesting because I wasn't sure what I wanted to drink. You know, you're not supposed to drink uh, any kind of alcohol for for a sore throat, but you know, whatever. This is a podcast. I am trying a beer called Bird Day from okay. um, Gigantic, who's a pretty cool. Uh, I got some Hellboy beers okay. from them. They did this hold really that, cool. Uh, hold that over to the side so I could see your pretty pretty little face as well. There we go. Bam. And then I'm going to zoom in on mine here. And I actually have something my buddy gave me over the weekend, which is, uh, it is called the best there is the best there was the best there ever will be West coast, Indiana pale ale. It is a Bret Hart dedicated pale ale. So Mm. you can see the can there. That is a classic, uh, Bret Hart image. And I think this is illegal. I don't think this is sponsored by Bret Hart or okay. anyone aligned with with that photo. So, but it, it's pretty badass. Just the can alone, I've been putting off drinking it for a few days now. But uh, today is the day, my friends. Let's get it. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get it. Okay, yeah, that works. That works. So, um, so mine is a ta- is a tangerine ale aged in mezcal barrels. Mezcal. So that could be very, very interesting. So we'll see. It is. It's pretty good. It's pretty smooth. And it works. And I bet I bet the mezcal aging in barrels is wonderful for my throat. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that we didn't record last week. Nice. And um, and so so what we're going to experiment with a little bit, at least in case uh, if until we have time to maybe build the buffer again, is much lower buffer. So now what we're doing is we're recording this on a Wednesday and it's going up the next Monday. So that's going to allow us to be, I have no idea whether we'll be much more current or not, but it'll make us feel current. Um, it's going to be fun for your boy editing this weekend because I'm working a convention, but we'll get to that. So I'm going to figure out how to fucking edit this at some point over the next four days and I, I think I'll be okay. So anyway, um, so let's talk about uh, my my weeks, right? Because we really have two weeks to catch up on. But the interesting thing, I think, for both of us is that um, our weeks, our, our two-week chunks followed similar patterns in that um, I did some work and then I had a vacation that had been planned. So 
for my 50th birthday, because I am now officially 50, um, my wife took the family and I to Hawaii. So we went to Hawaii, and it was wonderful. Um, I can talk a little bit about that. I have a few comic-slash-stupid-related things to talk about at the end, but it was a wonderful trip. And more importantly, I really didn't do shit. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty productive guy, and I'm the kind of person that really wants to check that box, as we've talked about in, in a couple episodes ago there. But you know what? I just got to Hawaii, and I was like, I think I need to ramp this all the way down. I think I just need to live, you know? And uh, so that's what I did, man. I chilled for a little bit. So, um, but before that, what I did was I finished the script to Kadoja Volume 4, Number 1. So that is completely done. Um, I had been close to it before. Um, so all the scenes are done, obviously. Um, the ideas for the book are done, or, or at least the ideas for, you know, the general scenes. The ideas for the kaiju in the book are done, which we've also talked about. And I fleshed out the other one as well. So it is now um, in Will's hands for Will to take a look and maybe get some pencils drafted at some point. And, uh, and it's also in Mike's hands. So he is going to take a read through and just see if there's any thing that's uh, jumping out one way or the other so that was a fair amount of work it's not much to talk about but it is uh it was a very it was nice to do that right before i went on the trip you know just to know that i sent that off to the artist and the artist can start thinking about it uh I'll, i'm actually in the similar space so that's actually what my first thing is going to be but man starting a new book it's just so exciting like uh, i don't know the last time I started a new issue. It's been that long. Like, I was working on Second Shift 10 and 11, like, like at the same time, pretty much. I had started 10 first, uh, because 9 and 10, it's a two-part story. And then I did the Drawtober event, which was, was last October, and that was issue 11. I ended up knocking out an issue before I finished issue 10. And... So, so to start a new process, it's just, I, I kind of forgot the feeling of it. And to go straight into my first thing, I started the thumbnails for Wanders Melisanda number three. And uh, that was a blast. I started last night, or yesterday, I started yesterday, and continued throughout the night, and I continued today. So as of today, I have 13 of the pages, of the 22 pages thumbnailed. So I'm well over halfway done in that process. And it's just... It's, it's so interesting going over the script and uh, just figuring out what's what. Wanderers is, is done a little differently than Second Shift is. It's a little looser. Uh, Ed is giving basically, it's four panels a page usually, and then uh, every once in a while I'll throw in a, a splash or a double page splash just to change it up. But it's usually four panels a page. And uh, Ed's just kind of going, and this happens in this panel. Uh, this person says something to this person, or you know, and it, it's so it's real easy, real light, and and um, it, it's gotten it's gotten so uh, minimalist that I actually had to text Ed. I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I was like, Hey, who is this bad guy? Is it with this bad guy? And he goes, No, no, separate bad guy. I was like, Okay, okay. So uh, yeah, so it's interesting uh, going through this process again with him. And uh, just just working on the thumbnails. The thumbnails, it's like before it was something I kind of dreaded, and now it, now it's become very entertaining to me. I'm really enjoying this part of the process. Nice, nice. So, do you want to address the difference between thumbnails and pencils now, or do you want to wait until we get to this week's topic, which is pencils? Yeah, let's wait. Let's wait till the main event. Yeah, I don't okay, mind that. This fine. is a, a little sneak peek for you guys. So you a little, know, a little sneak peek. Yeah, exactly. you you guys are wondering what the main topic for this episode is? It's penciling. So last last week was writing. This week penciling. So uh, exactly. stick yeah, around. We're, we're, until, we're working it through. Yep, that's right. Wait till we uh, finish they... our uh, double. Uh, we got two things a piece here, and then we'll be uh, diving into the main topic. Yeah, although it's fair to note that if they if they read the episode's title, they would know this is coming because that's certainly going to be in it. You know, well, fair reminds enough. me of it reminds <laughs> touche touche. Uh, it's funny because I remember this this there used to be this website back before a lot of the video stuff. Someone did I can't remember what it was called. It was like it was in the vein of these movie trailers. We wish real movie trailers or how it should have ended and it was like uh, the real script to something 
right? It was the real script to Star Wars Phantom Menace. That's the one I remember because it was right around that time. And there was, there was a part where I, I remember two things. I remember one, that Jar Jar first comes out and says, oh, Misa, whatever, you know, or actually he comes out and says something in eloquent King's English. And then the script then says George Lucas, oh, we need to make him accessible to kids, don't we? And then it goes back to, you know, George Lucas writes stuff. And then Jar Jar says, oh, Misa, you know, the, all this kind of stuff, right? So that was the first thing. And then the audience in the script, so it says Jar Jar, he gives his intro. And then the audience, supposedly speaking, says, die, die, Jar Jar. No one likes you, <laughs> right? That's, That's the first thing. And then the, the second thing is that when Darth Maul kills uh, Qui-Gon Jinn in the, uh, in the lightsaber fight, uh, it says Qui-Gon Jinn dies, which comes as a surprise to none of us that listen to the advanced copy of the soundtrack. And the reason for that is because there's a song title called Qui-Gon's Noble End. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, I was at KB Toys when, when uh, the movie hadn't come out yet, but the toys were already out. So I was looking through all these toys and I saw the whole, and I mean, it's not like she doesn't look like exactly who she is, but Padme, uh, you know, it it spoils the and the other one, yes, yeah. yes, it spe- yeah. it spoils the Queen Amidala Padme thing, yes, uh, in exactly. the toys. And I was like, oh man, did I just find something out? Exactly. Wait a minute. This is the exact same face on both of these. Yeah. How could that be? How could that be? So uh, so anyway, I wanted to mention one other thing. I think about the. Um, Oh God, damn it! I forgot it too. Well, I it got was, some, it was I like, got something. If it's not Star Wars related, before no, you... no, no, I was going to go back to the scripting thing. Actually, oh, so go okay. ahead, talk, and then okay. maybe I'll remember. Okay. Um, so I was just listening to uh, Rob Liefeld's podcast, uh, uh, Rob's Observations. Really good, good podcast. You, if you're listening to this, you more than likely already listened to that. Unless, unless you hate Rob for whatever your reason is, but uh, it's a really good podcast. But he was talking about a book that he read as a child that came out after the first for Star Wars, uh, if, if it didn't do well. I forgot the na- the title of the book, but it, essentially it's the script for the, the sequel he was going to do if it didn't do well. So it was like a lower budgeted sequel. And that was just really interesting for uh, for me to listen to, just, just with a, the storyline that they were going to do. It was very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is actually kind of cool. Oh, I know what I was going to say about the new script. That it is very exciting to get into a new issue or, 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 you know, I think new issue is exciting. New arc is exciting. And then in my case, I'm also tacking on final arc, right? So it's, it's a wonderful time of like a fresh frontier, but it's also a time of expectations that I'm placing on myself because I want to wrap as many things up as possible. I want to wrap everything up that makes sense. So, uh, so I need to make sure that I'm doing all of those things. And, uh, and so it's, it's fun. It's ambitious. I, I believe I've caught everything, but just, just yesterday I was driving around thinking and I'm like, Ooh, I think I need to make, make a change to issue one during one of these conversations because I want them to reference something that happened in volume three, right at the end there. And, uh, and the thing is that thing happens, but I need, I want to call it out one more time. So people are fully, I think people know, but I also want it to be like that thing happened. So of course the other characters would know about it. Right. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't ignore it. It would be too important for them to ignore. So I just need to go back and, and make sure that works. Right. And, and then to drop it in um, issue four or volume four issue one. So anyway, interesting time and fun time. Yeah. The culmination of a story that's taken this long for you to do that, that would take anyone you know, the length that it takes them, you know, the culmination of a story, you really want to stick the landing. It's just so, so important. Like there's just so many movies out there, for instance, that you're like, man, this is a great movie. This is a great movie. And then they shit the bed right at the finish. So it's just kind of like uh, the expectations from the audience and the expectations that you have for yourself. Yeah, man, I think books even do it more. You know, oh, I mean, is that right? I, I, I actually, I actually think movies stick the landing way more often than novels do. Novels seem to fuck themselves up like all the time, man, and I don't know why that is, but you know, who knows? Who knows? But uh, okay, so so getting to our second thing. So then there was a gap of time, um, at where, where I I took a vacation, and um, then I came back, and these last two days have been. Woo, they have been fr- so just as a as a point of reference here, I'm basically on the ground for 48 hours after my trip before I turn right around and head to Portland for Rose City Comic Con, which would have just happened. Now that is a bit of a grind, you know. Um and obviously anytime you have a throat that hurts 
and sinuses that, you know, again, any other year I would be thinking, well, this is allergies. The air quality sucks this time of year. You know, you don't think that now because there's that little coronavirus bug in the back of your head. Never mind. I wouldn't even know how I got it, you know, but that's that's how it works, man. It, it impacts everybody. So I'm going on this trip. I am excited for it. Um, at the last minute, I decided to stay in a hotel instead of staying with friends. Um, just, you know, not not because I think I'm patient zero or anything, but I just think it's, you know, I had a conversation with the guy actually just today and uh, decided to change up my shit and uh, and change it into a hotel. So uh, and, and I like that. You know what I mean? It It's going to change the complexion of my time in town. Right. Because now instead of it being catching the train and going back to hang out with my buddy, I mean, you can picture this, man. Imagine if I was hanging out with you for a convention every night versus, you know, or you were hanging out with me versus you being in your in a in a town where you didn't know anybody. You know what I mean? Like you'd probably hit up comic shops. You'd hit up bookshops. You'd find a good place to get a meal, find a good place to get a beer. Find some good places, in my case, in the morning to get coffee, and then good to go. And Portland is an amazing town for coffee and beer, so there's going to be no shortage of options. Um, and it's also just going to entirely change the complexion of the trip. All of a sudden, I, I remember just now I need to pack some gym clothes because I'm going to have time to go to the gym. You know, I it, it's like all those little subtle things. I'm going to have way more time to write because I'm not going to be hanging out with my buddies. So it's going to change the tone of the trip. And uh, obviously, I'll I'll do everything I can to to stay safe and remain safe, and uh, and you know, gargle with a whole lot of goddamn salt water because my throat needs to heal, you know. And then then I'll obviously feel better. And uh, but anyway, so what I did was it was just tons of prep. I actually um, had to select the product, you know, conventions that that you travel to by airplane. Far more difficult, man. You know, because you have to make hard decisions. You know, this is this is baggage that you're checking or packages that you're mailing yourself and everything you put is costing you money. Right. So you need to figure out what the best mix of product is that's going to have you walk home with the least amount of product possible. So um, I was able to consult past Rose Cities. You know, um, I will be really interested to listen back to this next week because based on my data, Rose City is a strong print convention for me and not a particularly strong comic convention. I still sell my comics, I sell my graphic novels, but uh, prints seem to be what uh, what makes the table. And uh, and so I, I loaded up a whole bunch of prints. I even um, I even thought ahead even more and printed out a nice like uh, sale list. You know, it's like a it's like a laminate, and I laminated it. I printed out a few and then I laminated them so that when people come up to the table, they can look at a laminated price list. It has the trades, it has the prints, has a couple other things that I have there, has a few show specials, and um, and the best part about it is if they're they're uncomfortable about certain things, then um, I can hand them that and I can let them know that I wipe this down after every person touches it. And so I'm bringing wipes and I'm just going to wipe that bad boy down and it'll be laminated and then I'll just cycle through them and have my own little process here. Um, Rose City itself uh, is requiring either proof of vaccination or a COVID test that you took prior to travel. So uh, I think all in all, it's it's going to be a pretty low risk environment. You have to mask up all the time inside the convention center. Oh, is that if you right? Go, yeah, if you want to go eat or drink or something like that, you should move away from your table. I may lower my mask for a quick moment and just take a little sip of something because I'm going to need sips of water to get through the day. But uh, but yeah, aside from that, you know, um, I'm, I'm loaded with product. My suitcases are packed. And uh, by this time tomorrow morning, I will be well in Portland. I got an early, early flight out. It's been a crazy day or two, but I am um, packed and ready to go. Man, that's that sounds rough, dude. Just all that travel beforehand, your throat's fucked up. And then you're going to go to a convention where you're going to be talking nonstop. That's going to be a bit rough. And then the added expense of the hotel, of course. Um, yeah, just all of those things. It's just, you know, for you, convention uh, or those prospective artists who will be doing conventions, this is the stuff that you guys need to think about when you book these conventions. You know, if you're booking out of state, you know, out of town, somewhere where a, th a friend doesn't live, you have to think about all of these expenses. The the plane ride or the gas to drive there, the hotel, the table space, the food while you're out there. So this is all stuff that you need to have in the back of your mind when you start doing these conventions. Yep, yep. And, and I mean, this goes to something that I, it's just one of my philosophies, right? Like, you know, if the convention was a month away, I'm not sure I'd do it. 
you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I go back and forth on just the current risk level right now. I am vaccinated. I do protect myself in public. Um, I do wash my hands like a maniac. So I feel like, you know, at least I'm mitigating all the risk that's out there. Um, to your point, incurring extra cost is never a good time. But, uh, you know, this is going to be a bit of a vacation for me, I suppose, when the when the convention is over. Hopefully it goes well. Hopefully uh, I do well. And um, and we'll see. And, you know, uh, something that I said, promised myself a very long time ago, is that someday when I'm old, hopefully, I will sit back and I will tell myself, Keith, you gave it your best shot. You threw you threw everything you could at it. You know what I mean? Like you didn't you didn't leave anything on the court to use a sports analogy. And and so, yeah, it's going to incur some extra cost here and there and it's going to be some pain and I'm going to have to scramble to make that money back and sell more. But uh, hopefully that happens, you know, and, and more importantly, I'll know that uh, I put it all out there and I gave it a shot. And, you know, if it if it if the shot hits, then I'll look back on these times and go, yeah, man, you know, the, the grind is, is real. And if it didn't hit, well, then I know that I gave it my best. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is and hopefully you are an old man. And you say, I gave it my best shot and it hit and look at mm-hmm. look at the success that it brought. And I'm, so, and I'm sitting on my yacht while I own the Philadelphia Eagles going, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to buy a part of the, the Sixers, huh? <laughs> well, actually, no, I it was the specific Eagles reference was because during the last NFL draft, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, they had like a live look in and he was drafting live from his fucking what was it? A one point five million dollar yacht or wow. billion dollar. It was it was just an insane yacht. And I'm like, dude, that's the life right there. You're like you're you're out floating somewhere in the water and you're just like in the war room of your draft, your fucking yacht. Yeah, you know what I mean? So anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oil money, man. Yeah. yeah. Just to touch back, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. I'm going to go ahead and say that's a very accurate description for this beer, for being a a West Coast IPA. Um, I really do enjoy this. This is quite good. I'm going to hit my buddy Kevin back up. And it's a 9.2, something I didn't get to mention earlier. So this is... Let's go. Yeah, Brett's putting those holds on for sure. He's got the sharpshooter on tight today, boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right good that mine's only seven so you're gonna have to carry the podcast yeah yeah i'm in, i'm enjoying you're ready it. to go you're ready you're yeah. ready to go fucking full kobe right now just drop 60 and because because i don't need to that's right yeah exactly right it'll exit the game uh before the the pod's over and you'll just it'll just yeah. be you it's like i don't need to go back in i did so good the first three quarters the last quarter is you keith clean up that's it that's clean it, it up <laughs> you guys go win you guys go win i did i did what i needed to do uh so my second thing was uh, kind of more of the end process of this, of the coloring part of this book. So as of today, I was receiving tons of uh, pages. Actually, it's all the pages for Second Shift 10 back from Joaquin. He had sent me the cover yesterday. It looked amazing. There was one correction I wanted him to do. And then I'm actually going to shoot that over to you and Gary um, after this pod uh, since you guys already both saw the cover. So it, it's freaking badass. It's one of the best color jobs that he's done on my work. And, and like, I think he colors me spectacularly. So that's saying something. Uh, I really enjoy this cover. And uh, yeah, so I was going through all of the pages. He's like, hey, download all these. If everything is good, then, uh, you know, download them all. And I'm, I'm going to delete the file because he needs the space, obviously. Um, but there was two pages where I had uh, some questions and some minor corrections. One of the things was there is basically an alley or, or excuse me, um, there is a sewer scene. And so the only thing that's lighting the room essentially are their, uh, their flashlights. And so he colored it in a way which really drives that home. But it also is a concern that it's just going to be too dark when it's printed. So I had mentioned that to him. I said, I really do like the vibe. I really do. But um, I said, I think that it might be too dark when it gets printed, however. I like the effect. I'm like, if you can kind of mess with the contrast a little bit and lighten the whole, that whole panel up, then that'll be good. But like overall, the aesthetic, everything, I really enjoy. Um, and another thing was, I talked about it last episode, it was the explosion, the half-ass explosion from the flatter. Um, I guess he forgot about my note or on that one. So I had said, hey, still still not good. 
uh, and so he's going to take care of that and he'll have that done. The only two things he hasn't had time to finish is the pinup, that Golden Age Daredevil and Princess Sheba, or Sheba, depending however you pronounce that, uh, pinup. He hasn't done that yet. That was my hands. I don't know if you guys heard that. I accidentally did that, so I don't want you guys to think Great I... Great audio. Yeah, I don't, I don't want you guys to think I farted on you. <laughs> so weird. Oh, Brett, you and your 9.2 beers. Fuck. You're, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to edit this shit on a fucking airplane, and it's going to be such a pain in the ass, and you're, you're fucking up on purpose. It's like you're fucking up on purpose. I want you to leave this all in. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's uh, so he's he's going to be doing that pinup tonight, and he said he'll have it to me by tomorrow. And then that book cover, uh, it's an old style noir detective noir story. And the commissioner, he sent me some pieces that were this painted old school, you know, book novel. And uh, he's going to do it in that style. So hopefully, he'll have both of those to me tomorrow. So really exciting time. I love getting colored pages in. Just, just to see my work in color, like how Joaquin translates it. A lot of times I don't even give him direction. You know, he'll say, hey, do you have any notes for this? And I'm like, I trust you. Just do whatever you're going to do. And then he sends it back and I'm just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like, it's just so amazing. So uh, I love working with this guy. I just got a notice on Facebook today. It has been 10 years since we're friends on Facebook. So I think that is in accordance to when we started working together coloring. So 10 years of knowing this guy and uh, doing comics and, and other projects. It's it's great. Yeah, I mean, we've said it before, too. There's something very wonderful about, like, playing big money man and paying other people to, to do stuff. And then you just, like, you just kick back. Like, send me my shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know well, and mean? not like, only that, we're we're actually friends. Like, we're legit friends, you know? it's 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 so yeah. nice to... Um, meet up with someone online and, you know, become, you know, business partners in a way or, or whatever that is. And uh, then become friends over the years, you know, just talking and to the point where we Skype each other every once in a while. And we'll just talk on the phone, you know, like he likes practicing his English. He's from Argentina. So we'll, we'll talk on the phone for like an hour or two, just just chopping it up. And it's really great. It's, really, it's a really nice yeah. uh, uh, partnership that me, Ed, and uh, Joaquin have developed. It is interesting to see that kind of stuff. You know, like you and I, too. You know, we, we table next to each other at Long Beach Comic Con however long ago. And here we are just fucking kicking it every week. And, yeah. you know, going to buy comics together and hanging out and drinking beers. And, you know, knowing each other's families, basically, you know, in a lot of ways, you know. And uh, and that stuff happens step by step, you know. But uh, it's interesting because as you're talking about you and Joaquin, it's also funny to think about the things that, that are the flip. And uh, I just thought of, of one where I, I got in contact with an artist, however long ago this was. Let's just go with like four or five months. And, uh, and he wanted to do a Skype. And we did a Skype. And we talked. And we were talking about like maybe collaborating on this comic and doing this and doing that. And, uh, and the conversation seemed to go okay. And then afterwards, we never spoke again and never emailed again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. In the, so isn't that fucking that funny? And, yeah. And, yeah, it was just kind of like, I mean, you know, you have to have the call. And then you're like, yeah. I think what happened was he ended up talking me into a place where the thing that he wanted to draw was not the thing I wanted to write, you know, mm. and he was a writer, too, and seemed to have a lot of writer input on it. And it's like, well, I'm not sure you need me, buddy. You know, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Right. Like, like if I'm just providing every service that you can provide on your own, well, why would you not do it on your own? I wonder uh, if that's know? exactly what happened, too. After you guys went back and forth for a while, I think he might have come to that same conclusion like yeah I, I think i got this like yeah you know yeah basically exactly. you guys might have even talked about talked out the stuff he was having difficulties figuring out sure and you helped sure. you helped with those little pieces of the puzzle and he goes all right i'm straight yeah and and again like dude that's fine you know what i mean like i didn't i didn't want to write the comic by the time the conversation was over because again it had it had turned me just ever so slightly away from the stuff that i really want to write it's like, you know, we only have so much time, so I might as well right. write only the stuff that I want to write. This know? is true. So anyway, but but the most important thing is putting yourself out there. You know what I mean? Like, you're never going to know that shit in, unless you start having conversations with people and you're not afraid. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before, right? Like, not being afraid to have a conversation turn into nothing. Not being afraid to put out something that, that somebody somewhere is going to review and they're going to think it fucking sucks. They're going to say how much it sucks and they're going to give you a crappy review. And they're going to give you, you know, one star on Goodreads or whatever it's going to be, you know. So, <laughs> right. you know, 
damn, you know, damn you, Goodreads. <laughs> you know, uh, God, if if I ever get like published at a at a big level, I'm just gonna have to avoid all social media and Goodreads. I just don't know if I'm built for that shit. <laughs> Not so Goodreads. <laughs> all right, so I think uh, are we on? Are we ready for the main event? Uh, I the, think we are. The topic we are. of the day. Okay, so that yeah. was something we mentioned prior. It's uh, penciling. This week is penciling. And, uh, you know, after that conversation, we're going to talk about what we did. We both went on a vacation of uh, in our own right. Keith went somewhere. I went somewhere. So stick around after this part of the conversation if you feel like listening to us chop it up about what we did. Yeah, yeah. So I was just uh, consulting a little bit of my notes here that I had made for the penciling stuff. And um, the couple things I wanted to talk about. So I think this is going to be interesting because, you know, the two different perspectives really come into play right here. I'll talk about what I like to do from a writing standpoint. I've mentioned this before. That's something I want to make sure of is that the person drawing this book is having a good time. I, I mean, I really push myself to think of interesting shit that's new that someone can draw, you know, and, and somebody did this hilarious, um, it was like a decision tree almost for a certain author. And it was basically how this writer's decision tree works. And it says, does it kick ass? That was the box. And then it said, no. And the response was, don't write it. <laughs> and then yes, write that, <laughs> you know? So like, that's the decision tree I try to follow, at least in some of these things, you know, like, does it kick ass? No. Well then don't write it. You know, um, obviously you do have to write some shit that does not kick ass because we all have to, for, you know, f uh, push the plot along. But in general, when it comes to action and when it comes to the action you're leading to, I want the shit to kick ass. From a, a scripting standpoint, you know, when we get to the penciling, um, and again, Scott's going to really break down a lot of the technical stuff, or at least what he does in terms of penciling. I've seen my pencilers vary all kinds of ways. Some people pencil loose. Um, some people pencil pretty tight to the point where it almost looks like inks, you know. But, uh, but, but most importantly, I think from the pencil standpoint, I happen to call the shots. I believe that actual phrase comes from, the phrase who's calling the shots here, comes from movies. You say whether it's interior or exterior, and then you say the type of shot, close, medium, or wide. And then you say, you, you, just, you describe the shot, the camera shot itself, and then you describe the scene, right? So you could have a medium panel with a wide shot. It's going to be a very small in scope, you know, and, and I, you see this all the time, right? You'll see some, some very small panel that depicts a whole lot of superheroes beating the shit out of each other, right? That's, that's a medium panel wide shot or even a small panel wide shot. You know, in Rory's case, um, after the first, first issue, he was all like, hey, can I just go? And then it quickly became like, Rory, these five pages, this stuff happens. Make sure you get it all in. Here's all the dialogue you need to drop in. Go from there. Alberto wanted a ton of direction on, on um, panels. And interestingly enough, so does Will. Because I even asked him before this issue. I said, hey, do you want me to keep calling shots and panel sizes and stuff like that? He's like, I do. Because I want to see this book in your head so that I can then do it what I want with it. And I thought that was a pretty cool way of putting it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm giving him creative license, but he wants to see as much on the page of what I see so he can then turn that into whatever artistic awesomeness he has. So go ahead. You got you got some thoughts on that before I jump into to any other thoughts I have? No, that's super interesting. Um, and, and obviously, all artists work differently. Everybody works differently. Writers, whoever. Um, and that's just interesting to hear that you have experienced, you've, you've experienced you know, the gamut. It's just like, yeah, some, some guys just want to know how many, okay, what's going on in these four pages. All right, let me just do my thing. I don't really need your direction so much. As long as it, I can visualize your script, then let me just do my thing. And I know there's, there's some artists out there that that's just how they like to do it. Other ones, uh, there's, there's guys, a lot of times if it's just a job, right? Like if they don't feel pulled into the project maybe and this this is just me spitballing and this is not a hundred percent definite for everyone that works this style but if someone isn't necessarily invested in the project as far as it being like their baby or they feel attached to it in a way it's just basically a paycheck they might just want all right just give me the direction cool i'm just gonna draw it exactly how you said so at the end of the day you won't be like you know what this isn't what i want it's like oh yes it is you're you're the one that told me this is what you wanted. So um, for them, it might be a job, you know, they it just, they're just like, okay, well, I'm just going to get it done. The less thinking I have to do, the better. 
you know, other people, they, they like to be a little more creative with it, even if it is just a job. They, they want to be entertained by, uh, uh, you know, putting as much as they can into each page. So, so there's a whole bunch of directions there, and it's interesting to uh, uh, hear how Will likes to do it, Will Perkins. Now, I know in your case, you, you, all you've done is issues that you have a creative stake in. Right. But let's just say, you know, you're you're partnering up or something like that. Like, what do you like to see in terms of direction, in terms of script? Does Ed Ed does write the scripts, right? He does. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so what 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 do those scripts look like? Let's start with that. Well, um, I think we talked about this last week or, or the week prior. I'm not quite sure um, at this point. But Ed Ed used to write prose style. So it was just uh, him writing a story uh, like a novel and I can visualize it. You know, like when you write a novel, you're as a writer, you want to paint a picture for everyone. When you're creating comic books, that's kind of an interesting way to do it. Uh, and like I mentioned before, the problem with that is you might end up with 19 pages, which is perfectly fine, but you might end up with 28 or 29, which is not so much because uh, then you're looking at a 32 page comic book, you know, and you're trying to do just a standard comic. So it can be problematic. So we switched it up. We're doing more of the standard industry comic style scripting. And uh, sometimes Ed will add in like what he sees in the panel. You know, he'll give a little bit of direction and sometimes I will take it. I'll be like, hey, that seems pretty cool. And, uh, but then sometimes I won't, you know, and it's all just, it's a case by case situation. What just happens to work, like maybe the direction he gave me um, doesn't work with how I'm formatting the rest of the panels. So I might change it in that instance, but there's some times where it actually does work. So I'll, I'll, I'll just go with it. Um, but so I guess in that sense, I am kind of like Will, Will Perkins. Look what the writer gives you, and then you you like dictate what's going to happen next. It's like, hey, I do like that, yeah. or I don't like that, and uh, you know, you just go from there. So yeah, yeah. More more importantly, you want to see what the writer gives you. I thought Will's comment because when I sent him the question, I was certain he was going to say what Rory said. Just 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 tell me what you want to have happen and and give me all the dialogue and I'll drop it in. So it was very interesting and surprising to hear him come back and say, "Yeah, yeah, no, I I want you to be as detailed as possible so I can see the see the book in your head and then go from there." So yeah, man, pretty pretty cool shit. How much does he follow what you do? That like how much how much work has he done with you prior to this? And in that work, how much of that does he follow your description? How much does he go about his own way? You know, it's interesting. He's only done one issue. And the answer to your question is, I don't know. I suppose this is sort of part of the penciling is getting the feedback from the writer, right? If, if you're working with a writer, then pencils are when you want the feedback. Because after that, bitch, the work really starts, you know? Uh, so I, I don't want you changing your mind after I've inked pages, you know? So exactly because right. of that, pencils are the big feedback stage. So you're going to get, as a writer, you're going to get a crack at it on the, on the second end of, of pencils as well. And so, uh, in terms of that phase, I make a habit of never looking at my own script when I look at pencils, right? Mm -hmm. Some people might, but I never do because what I like doing is I had this vision of the story in my head, you know, here's the script. And then what I generally do is I just forget it, you know, because, uh, you know, to, to work with me is to know that I love letting artists be artists. Um, if, if you're working with me, I mean, musically, I do this and, and creatively on the comic side, I do this, man, it's all about us kind of creating something together. You know, like I can, I could play all the instruments myself in, in a band, but I choose not to, right? Because I don't play all of them that well, you know, and I sure as shit don't play them as well as the, the session musicians, you know, or the, or the, uh, you know, the badasses that I end up working with, like Chris from Big Pimp Jones and Frank from Big Pimp Jones, you know, Jim Fagurski, all these guys, man, they can all do amazing shit, you know? So to that point, that's why I don't consult my script. So I have no idea how closely Will mirrors the script because I've never checked. All I know is I got those pencils back and the shit worked. Don't, you know, Rory would send some shit and, and with the, with the art, I always thought it was amazing, but he would also then mess with the dialogue. You know, and it would be like he would make the dialogue maybe better in his eyes, but it didn't make it better. Or sometimes he would editorialize and cut stuff. It's like, no, 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 that has to be in there. There's a reason that's in there. Yeah. You can't cut that. You know, right. so, so, and then I'd look back at what I wrote and I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's a reason that I wrote it like that. Like, so I need you to add that back in, you know, but, um, but anyway. Was so, he doing I don't the know. lettering as well? Yeah, Rory was doing it all, as oh, a matter okay. of fact. Yeah, 
Yeah, Rory was doing all of it. Um, and in, in this case, obviously, Will is going to do the art and the finished pages, but I'm going to be doing the lettering, which is which is helpful. Again, it's it's a blessing and a curse, as I've said, given that exact phrase before, because you have uh, authorship over your shit until it goes to printer. But that's a good and a bad thing because you can never fucking let go of it. There's always something to change. There's always something to think to, that you did better. Where if you pass it off to somebody, then you just throw it over the fence and it's done. You know. So anyway, um, so yeah, I've, I've never really checked. I've never really bothered to look at that. I just know that the pages work. That's cool. That's, that's very good. Um, there was a story a while back about uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo when they first started working on Batman. That project almost didn't happen because Snyder was overly detailed and trying to dictate everything. And Capullo was so used to McFarlane's style, which was just very Marvel method of, uh, hey, here's what's happening on these five pages. Just make it happen. And Greg loved it. And that was the style he's worked in, in for years. And I think prior to working with McFarlane, because he worked at Marvel, it might have been the same method. The artist basically, hey, here's what the story is. And the artist bangs it out. And then the writer, you know, dialogues it after the fact. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that let Snyder become a better writer because he had never worked that style before. He was new to comics relatively, even though he was like a Goliath in himself. Um, he was, he was relatively new to comics, I think only a couple of years. So he's only worked with artists who were going to do exactly what he said. But uh, Capullo came in with his big nuts and was like, no, bro, that's not how we're doing. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then exactly. he learned and then he started working with other artists and realized that, Oh, artists have their own vision. And guess what? Artists are, visual people so you you should probably let them do that so to hear you say what you just said uh it's perfect that's exactly what i think any artist would want in a writer just be flexible um let let the artist do what they do uh, as long as it aligns with the story that you're trying to convey so yeah i mean and, and i think more importantly if you're collaborating with someone whether you're the artist or the writer you know it's important number one they're never going to know how you feel unless you tell them Right. So that's important. The, the thing number one is to communicate dot, dot, dot in a respectful way. But uh, but just understand that you're always going to get more with with sugar than salt. Right. I, I think that's that's the phrase. Mm-hmm. Catch more flies with sugar than salt. Right. Yeah. So it's always good to be nice to people. You know, it reminds me of uh, there's there's a very funny thing. I'm going to try to paraphrase this and get it right. For some reason, I'm thinking of it now. Maybe it's the seven percent beer. Um, Neil Gaiman gave this address at a college one time and I can't remember what college it was. But he was basically talking about being creative. And so it may have been one of these creative universities. And, and what he said is, there are three important rules. Number one, be good, right? Number two, be on time. And number three, be nice. He's like, you know what the beauty of that is? You don't even have to do all three. Yeah. You just have to be two. You yeah. just have to do two. You can be good and nice and people won't care if you're on time. You can be on time and nice and people won't really care if you're good, you know? So anyway, it's, it's, uh, I just love that idea, you know? So to that point, obviously you want to be all three, but, uh, but you know, nice is important. Nice is important and it's going to get you, uh, a lot of, uh, open a lot of doors and, uh, and get you to meet a lot of new cool people. All right. So coming off of the script portion of this, going into the penciling, in, there's a step in between that. And I had mentioned it a little bit earlier in this episode, it's thumbnailing. So thumbnailing is where you're going to do uh, quick, tiny little layouts of each page to see how the the story flows. So if there's any kind of story issues, you'll be able to find out in this this part of the process, Uh, which is great because you don't want to do all this work, creating all of these panels, doing all of this art, killing all of this time to only find out, oh, wait, the story kind of doesn't work. We need to add something in between these two pages. Then it messes with the page flow and, and it becomes a whole thing. So uh, for you new artists out there, always thumbnail your stories. Don't don't try to do it page by page. You're not, you're not there yet. Um, and honestly, I don't know if anyone ever really does get there where you just go like, let me just tackle these first two pages. Unless you're working with someone, unless you're working with a writer, that you you're very comfortable with and has been doing it for years. Um, I would say to thumbnail the entire entire issue out first, and then uh, start tackling the actual drawing of these pages. What's fun is when you're thumbnailing, you're working at such a small scale, you can actually see the the whole flow of that entire page 
um, just because just it's so tiny. And you can see if the flow of the page works. This is something I've talked about briefly in, in previous episodes, is a page flow. So uh, in the thumbnail process, you'll definitely get to see that. And another interesting thing to do while you're thumbnailing pages, look at the composition of each panel. Like, is that panel composition interesting in itself? And, and that's something I ask myself in, in the thumbnailing process. Like, I, I won't get too detailed as of right now, like when I'm going the first run over the entire thumbnails, it's going to be stick figures, it's just going to be kind of like silhouettes and just quick doodles. So it's it's nothing too spectacular in this part of the, the process. But as you go on, the, the, as soon as you finish that initial layout, you'll be able to go in those thumbnails and kind of like, maybe not detail, but kind of form them out a little bit better. In my, pro in, in my particular case, I use an iPad Pro. So I can actually, or an iPad, I actually don't have a Pro anymore, I just use a regular iPad. Uh, iPad 7, because you're still able to use the first stylus. So I can zoom in on these thumbnails and uh, just, just detail the hell out of them. And then I can copy that thumbnail and paste it into an 11 by 17 and blow it up. So the lines will be super distorted and they'll be pixelated and everything, but that doesn't matter because the skeleton of that thumbnail is what I need. So then I can draw on top of that, I can work on top of that, and then create the pages. It, it'll allow you to work a lot faster. This is part of the Slack method. So um, if you're new to books, this is something you might want to try out. Uh, I actually do screen grabs of the script. So I'll go, okay, I can fit, uh, you know, usually three pages, two to three pages per screen grab. And then so when I'm thumbnailing those out, I actually just paste the, the script into the into the file itself. And so I'm, I'm looking over and I'm uh, drawing as, I, as I'm reading. So it's very helpful. It uh, helps with the flow. It helps with speed. So something to think about when you're in this part of the process. Nice, man. That's a whole lot of good stuff and stuff that I'm not really privy to. So that's, that's cool to hear. Anything else you have on the penciling slash thumbnail process that you wanted to share before we, uh, we head on out of it? Um, no, I would say that's about it. But, you know, like I had mentioned, you, that's where you'll see if there's any holes uh, that need to be filled. And then so in this particular case on Wanderers number three, um, I actually have Kickstarter backers that I need to draw into the story. So I was actually able to add three pages into the script. Ed sent me a script. There's 19 pages. That's the kind of page count that I like. I like 19 to 21 to 22 pages, 23 at the most. Um, so Ed gave me a script that was 19. I added three pages to make sure all those Kickstarter backers get in there, but it adds a double space pred, uh, excuse me. It adds a double space. It adds a double page spread. Hello, 9.2 beer. Brett fucking Hart. Exactly. Brett Hart, the best there is. Jeez Louise. So I added a double page spread in there. Uh, and uh, one extra page that highlights those Kickstarter backers. And so, uh, and, and it flows perfectly with the rest of the story. And, and like I said, when you're in this part of the process, you'll get to see those holes or you'll see that everything's running smoothly. So um, yeah, so far so good. And uh, so just think about those things uh, when you're working on your next book. Rock and roll, rock and roll. So with that, let's go into the, uh, I guess the R&R &R portion of the program. And as luck would have it, since two weeks have passed, I've gone two places. Oh, so man. what I'm going to yeah. do is I'm going to whittle down my trips to some comic relevant shit, okay, and and go from there. And then if you have anything you want to add on yours, uh, go for it, you know, in between, okay? So for my first one, this is uh, two weeks ago, I dropped my kid off at college, and my kid goes to college in Staten Island, New York. So I flew out there, and instead of just flying back the next day, because who would want to do that, I, uh, I went to go hang out with my cousin who lives along the Jersey Shore, and uh, had basically uh, hung out with him for a day, you know, stayed at his house, and then went back and flew home the next day. On that day, I managed to carve just a little bit of time out for myself, and I had time for one comic shop. And the comic shop I chose was Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash in Red Bank, New Jersey. So it is exactly what you think it is. It is a comic store owned by Kevin Smith. I believe it is the original comic shop used in the first Chasing Amy, if I remember right. There's probably only one Chasing Amy. And, uh, and so I believe that that was, if I remember right, the legend has it, that that was the comic shop near him where he sold his comic collection to finance clerks. 
you know, that's that's the uh, apocryphal tale there. Although I think it's true that he actually sold off his his fancy comic collection to finance the first Clerks movie. Over time, he ended up, of course, buying that shop, and now it's become a bit touristy. So it's fun if you like Kevin Smith stuff. The back of the store is a mock quick stop. There is a six foot tall Buddy Christ statue um, <laughs> in the back of the store, and there's some other things as well. It also happens to be a pretty decent comic shop. So I found um, I found a good amount of books there. Some pretty good stuff. Um, obviously, the super valuable stuff is going to be on a wall. And, and the wall didn't have anything for me this time through. But I did find a bunch of really cool books. Um, some Fantastic Fours, I think, and some other stuff as well, kind of in that 70s to 80s um, run. The John and, Byrne? Uh, yeah, uh, well, for me, I'm, I'm just looking at anything. I, I, I tend to like something in about the... 150 to 250 range because aside from I don't think there are many key issues there and you can find them pretty cheap okay. you know so that's what's cool about I mean they're four dollars a lot of them you know so so not a lot going on there and I think um, I'd have to look through actually maybe I'll look through while you're talking and see if there's anything that jumped out in terms of like a big ooh I'm so happy I got this there but uh, more importantly the experience was cool it was fun I found some pretty interesting books oh you know I'm I'm on a firestorm kick right now and uh, it turned out to be warranted. It was interesting because I read the first five issues of the Firestorm series from the 80s, and I thought they were pretty bad, you know, and, and I read them uh, about a week or two ago, and I was just, why, why do I like Firestorm? You know, like, <laughs> this character's stupid, you know, like, well, the character's not stupid. I, I'm, I'm enamored with the idea of Firestorm. I think he's a pretty cool character that's never been used super great. But then on, the, on a whim, I bought some issues from the end of the run. I think it's like 74, 75, and 76. They're good, man. They, they didn't change my life or anything, but they were quite good. And, uh, and that was like, yeah, man, this is starting to feel like what I, what I think Firestorm should be. So now my task is going to be the first five issues are bad and issues 74 through 76 are good. So the question is, when did this book get good? Right. <laughs> you know? So I have 70 issues to try to mine and try to figure out in between when the hell this book actually got good, <laughs> you know, and where it got to. Because, you know, an interesting thing about a lot of comic runs, they tend to get good at the end of the run because the writers don't have to sustain the story anymore. They can just do what they want. Um, I think a famous example of that, although I never read them, I heard it's kind of sort of semi-legendary, is the Transformers Marvel comic, is that right around the end, the shit got super interesting because the writer just got to do whatever he wanted. And uh, I can't remember exactly what happened, but there was some really interesting shit that happened there in my, at the end of Marvel's run. So anyway, um, that was that. And uh, and then I actually did, because I was in Red Bank, I as I was walking from Jersey Transit, to the comic shop what do i walk by but a microbrewery called red tank in red bank and oh. uh, i was like well hello basically I had a two-hour turnaround because i i got off the train and I, and the next train that i could take to my cousin's town was two hours from then so i'm like i got two hours no matter what and i only spent about 45 minutes an hour in the comic shop i'm like i got just enough time to grab a flight at red tank on the way back to the train so i did it was delicious good beers um if you're in that area then you know give them a, give them a holler and uh, that was my first trip. So how about you, man? Now let's let's fast forward to the next week and talk about anything you want to talk about um, over that time. Yeah, before we do that, so any listeners out there, if you're a Firestorm fan from that genre, that or, I mean that that time frame, let us know. Let us know when it got good. When did when did it stop being bad? Uh, or if you think Keith is wrong and, and the whole thing is good. But uh, yeah, if you know, let us know. Um, so I went to Brago Springs, and that was super fun. Uh, it was over Labor Day weekend. So we went uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, it, it was awesome. It was just with a bunch of wrestling, old school wrestling guys. Uh, we're all retired at this point. We're all old farts. So uh, we just kind of got messed up for three days. It was super badass. Uh, got there Friday, left Monday. Um, so I guess technically four days, but Monday was just a cleanup day. We're just cleaning up and uh, taking off, so uh, don't really count that. But that was super duper fun. Uh it, Another thing that I actually, something you talked about that I, I wanted to mention was um, writers writing what they wanted uh, without having to sustain a story. That That's something that Eric Larson has said uh, in the past, and I, I've, I've mentioned on this podcast. Create the comic book that you would want to read. And and if you're, you're doing your own book, and it, that's not the description of your book, it's not the book that you would want to read, then you're doing the wrong book. So um, uh, that's just super interesting when you're doing corporate comics. you got to... 
you got to fall in line. You have to do what they want you to do. But once you're able to do what you want to do, that's when shit gets interesting. And uh, I, I find that was the case with my wrestling career. Um, I, I think my whole wrestling career, I was trying to appease the fans. I was trying to give them the match that they that I thought they wanted. And in the last year, I was just doing matches that I wanted. And that was, I think, my most pop. I was I was fairly popular, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I was fairly popular when I was wrestling, but my last year, I think I was the most popular, and that's when I really turned it up, and I was just doing whatever the fuck I wanted, so um, I took the experience of that last year, and that's what I do in my books now. It's just like, I'm just going to do what I want all the time, because I found that to be the best method. Yeah. If, if Eric Larson said that, he owes Tony Morrison royalties. Just saying he better, <laughs> right he better have paid that shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he made or if he claims he made it, but he's the first person that I read uh, say that. You know, I saw it on yeah. Twitter years ago and it's always stuck in my brain. I, I, I don't watch The Office, but I remember saying one time that uh, one of my favorite phrases in life is, is the Wayne Gretzky quote, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And then whoever Steve Carell's character is, basically Michael what's Scott. His name? Michael Scott. Do you know the thing I'm talking yes, about? I do. That it, it's basically a quote on the board, and it says, "You miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take." Dash Wayne Gretzky. Dash Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So all good, all good. So so that sounds fun, man. It sounds like a good ramp down. And uh, as as we talked about uh, a couple days ago, actually, because I was, te- I think I texted you something. And then you're like, yeah, man, I'm having a good ramp down. I'm like, awesome, man. I'm having a good ramp down, too. And that's my my last weekend trip that I just got back from a few days ago, which was Hawaii. Hawaii was great, um, but but I want to focus on a few sort of specific Hawaii things. Um, the first thing is comic-related. We did rent a car for one day and do the customary drive. For people that are in Oahu, it almost feels like a, a rite of passage that you need to rent a car and drive around the island, which you can do in about three hours, um, even if you take like the, the very scenic route along the North Shore. And that's going to be the drive. There are some other things you want to do there. We've got our whole system of checks that we need to do. You know, uh, one of the things is uh, get uh, Matsumoto water ice, which is in Haleiwa, I believe is how you pronounce it. And uh, then not far from there is one of the Giovanni's shrimp trucks. But I'm going to, so if you're not familiar with Giovanni's, it is a now legendary place uh, that serves an incredible plate of garlic shrimp. Some people say don't believe the hype. I say believe the hype. It's pretty goddamn delicious. And yes, it's overpriced. And yes, it's touristy. But, uh, you know. It's overpriced and touristy for a reason, because a whole lot of years ago, people ate there and were like, this is a good fucking shrimp, man. Yeah, I, I can concur uh, that I went there when I was in Oahu. It is delicious. Believe the hype 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, but before I get to my, actually, I'll give my stupid thing first, right? Giovanni's is cash only. And the problem is we didn't have, we only had just enough cash on us to buy Four plates of shrimp, because there were four of us, right? Four big old things of shrimp. I, I walk, and I'm like, look, there's a McDonald's right there. It's like, right, and, and actually, they make a joke on the Giovanni's website that we're known as the Giovanni's right across from the McDonald's. But remember, Hawaii has very, like, is very tight on coronavirus lockdown. A lot of the restaurants aren't open for, for service in the lobby, so this lobby was not open. You had to go through the drive through And I've done this three times in my life, and I got to do something that I never do, which is I walked through a drive through so I'm going to give this preface. It somehow is one of the most subversive and fucked up things you can do in a modern society. People cannot fathom you walking through a drive through in some places. So like I walk up and, and there's a woman. So, so before you even get to the order taker at McDonald's, there's a woman just sitting there kind of under an umbrella. And I'm like, hey, um, I see the lobby's closed and I can't go in. I just want to get a couple drinks, man. I'm just going to walk through the drive through okay? She's like, I don't think you can do that. And I'm like, well, you don't really give me a whole lot of options. Like, there's no real way for me to, to get an order. I, I'd like to walk through the drive-thru. She's like, well, we can't do that because we're concerned about your safety. And I'm like, well, can I take my chances? Can I just walk up to the car in front of me and, you know, not touch it and then wave at the car behind me if they get too close and maybe not have them run into me? She's like, go to the first window. <laughs> she, just, she didn't even know what to do. So I walk up to the first window and, uh, and of course, remembering a drive through, you know, I'm, I'm six foot two. So I'm, I'm bending over, right? Like, you know, the, a car window is lower than a standing human being in most That's cases, right. yeah. especially, especially me. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I lean over and I say to the guy, hey, um, I just want to order some, some beverages here. Can I get some? And he's like, sorry, I don't think you can do that. You're standing in a drive-thru. I'm like, yeah, I'm aware I'm standing in a drive-thru. I really just want to order a couple sodas, man. You know, like, that's it. He's like, I got to call the manager. So he calls the manager. <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll wait. And, uh, and then he's like, uh, just go to the second window. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fine. So I go to the second window and then, uh, and I, I walk up and I kind of, you know, like duck my head in the window and I'm like, hi. And the woman just turns around and goes, ah, <laughs> like, like, she just didn't expect it at all. And then I'm like, Hey, I just want to order some sodas. The person at the first window said to come here. And she says, uh, I don't think you can do this. And I'm like, well, I, I'd like to try. You know, is that okay? Can I order a couple sodas? And she's like, uh, let me get the manager. And then the manager, the manager comes over and he's like, so, sir, uh, we, we don't really allow people to order in the drive-thru, but we're going to just let you do that this time. Okay. And I'm like, F- look, dude, all I, all I want is drinks. I don't live here. Who knows when I'm going to come back here? You know what yeah. I mean? Like four years from now? I don't know. So anyway, so I finally got my drinks and walked out of the drive-thru and I'm just like, dude, it's like it's like I just turned society on its ear. The simple act of walking through a goddamn drive-through. Anyway, anyway, so that was my dumb story. That was my no. Dumb that story. was not a dumb story. That was a great story. I really enjoyed all of that. I think <laughs> I weird. I think I've attempted that one time as well, and they just weren't having it at all. They're like, no, you can't do it. Like, no. I did it. I did it one time in Philly, and they were pretty nonplussed about the whole fucking thing. And I just felt like, and I enjoyed. It. I look. I really enjoy walking through drive-throughs. They're, they're just strange and weird in a way that people don't expect. Uh, the Wendy's in Philly in my old neighborhood gave a shit, you know. <laughs> so anyway, it was fine. Money's money, you know. But uh, but anyway, so before we had done that, uh, we earmarked just one a little bit of time again. One comic shop. One comic shop. And so the comic shop I chose was a comic shop called Choice Comics. Um, and I, it's, it's not far from Aloha Stadium. Um, I went there, and it's a very hard place to find because their name isn't even on the door. You just have to know the address. So wow. you walk in, and the front of it is just sports cards and sports toys. When you walk to the back, it's a whole bunch of comics, man. And so I will say the couple things about Choice that I have to say are, one, their back wall is the best back wall I've ever seen in a comic shop. You know, like, even the best comic shops, when you look at the shit that's on their wall, it's pretty whack. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see stuff where you're like, oh, shit, they have that. Oh, shit, they have that. I would say the second best I've ever been to is actually SoCal Comics. They have some great shit in their cases and stuff like that, you know, where you're like, oh, wow, they got that. They got that. But in a lot of cases, no pun intended, um, those things are modern comics. You know, like I caught a Spidey 361 there. I caught a Thanos Quest number one, Infinity Gauntlet number one. A lot of modern stuff, right? This this place in Hawaii, man. They had some old shit and they had stuff that, that I happened, you know, because I wanted to educate myself about it. They had stuff that wasn't even on the wall that they didn't want to put there. And the guy did a post on Facebook like two days before. And he said, Hey, if you want to come get these, come get them before I change my mind and decide to slab them. Right. One of them was fantastic. 448. That is the first appearance of Galactus. He shows up on the back page. That is a serious ass book. You know what I mean? And, and like, those are the kind of books that he had there on the back wall, not as expensive, but uh, some pretty great books. So, um, so I thought that was just really cool to look at. They also had a ton of back issues for Marvel and for DC, and they had a third section of indie books, which was pretty cool. Indie, you know, image, whatever. What we've talked about the indie versus non indie right. before. No need to go over that. Third beaten. party. Yeah, third party comics. So, Choice Comics is a fun shop to be in. However, the downside is I'm not sure I've ever been in a shop where the owner was as aware of how valuable their comics were as in this shop. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the prices were very accurate as in not a lot of values to be had. Right. And so I get it. If you're in a store, you know, stores are generally going to inflate the price um, a little bit because they're a store. They like to keep good inventory and, you know, they got to pay rent on their, on their real estate, you know, show dealers, in, ter- in terms of, like, marquee books, show dealers are the ones that tend to have the books, son. You know, like, stores don't. Show dealers do. So it was great to dig through that stuff. I didn't walk away with a whole lot of stuff, though. Um, I walked away with three comics. I found a couple old uh, Son of Satans that were pretty fun. Um, and they were rather cheap, kind of lower in the run. Uh, Son of Satan is not a very valuable comic in, in many cases. And then I closed one, one more, one hole down, two holes to go, of my Secret Wars collection. 
oh, because nice. I found I found a very very minty looking Secret Wars number seven, which is the first appearance of Spider Woman, and it was reasonably priced. Oh. Priced. In fact, it was it was a lower price than any of the eBay auctions I was currently watching, which okay. was great to see. And it was again, it's a pretty great goddamn copy. So I walked away with those. Um, I spent like a grand total of 45 minutes in the shop because my family was waiting out in the rental car. I didn't want to spend too much time, but there wasn't a whole lot of extra time to spend. And um, and that was that. So uh, I, I think that if you are if you happen to find yourself on Honolulu and in Honolulu or, or Oahu Island and you want to grab some comics, I think that's the best spot to go. I think they have the best like older issues in terms of like back issue bins and things like that to dig through. But that said, the owner is is quite aware of the value and of the price. And you're going to see that when it comes to the price tags that are on the books. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't walk away with that uh, Galactus first appearance, did you? <laughs> nah, man, I didn't have, didn't have that kind of coin on me. Didn't have that kind of coin on me. That's awesome, but, uh, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, man, that's it. I think you got anything else or are you good? No, man, I'm good. That's That was good. That was a fun tale. I really enjoyed that. So, yeah. Yeah, Rock and right roll. Here. So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore decibel. That is Keith posting things from life. And also at Kadoja Kaiju. That is Kadoja stuff. If you follow me closely, you'll know that there's a little gap there in the time because I ramped all the way down in Hawaii. And uh, But I'll be back on it by the time that this episode airs and probably be sharing some photos from Portland and from Rose City Comic Con. So uh, if you're following, great. If not, hop on and, and, and see what it's all about. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can also contact both of us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you want to talk about the episode and whatever we missed, hit us up there, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yes, sir. And uh, keithrfoster.com is my site. There's some blog posts there. There's stuff about Kadoja. There's a little bit of stuff about me, and there's a store. So if you want to buy some Kadoja comics, uh, that's where you go, KeithRFoster.com. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com to pick up my books, Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Milisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, thousand years in the future we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Milisanda, where the meteor never hit, dinosaurs of that planet survived in a vault, so two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Does that work? That never works. So uh, we do not have a Patreon. We are not asking for free money or exclusive content. This is your content. We are giving it to you for free. So the only thing we ask, buy our comic books. You like comics. You're listening to Making Comics, so I would assume that's the case. So uh, do that. Pick up our books. Uh, you get a book to read. We get that cash. We get that sweet, sweet cheddar, that coin, yeah. that moolah, right. that... uh uh. uh what is it? Dinero. Dinero. I was going to say to quote, to quote Herb Tarlick from WKRP in Cincinnati, muy dinero, which means very money. I was going to say chatterbait, but I don't think that's right. I, what's, what's I, the... that, sounds, that sounds really wrong. It sounds okay. right, like illegal. Right. Okay, ba- uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, okay, they, we, that's better. That's better. I, I think we accept that. I don't know. And just remember, while you love comics, grandmas and mailmen love them even more. Right, as we've mm-hmm. talked about in previous episodes. Previous so. episodes, we've also said that male women do not love podcasts about comics. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I think it was indie film that they liked. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. I think that was it. So, uh, all right, man. So I've queued up the music by now. So we're just going to ride this on out, man. I will. I will see you next week. Yeah, yeah.